You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, friends, we're now going to have the Bible uh, read. So if I could invite you to uh, open up uh, your Bibles to the book of John. It's the last, the last of the gospel. You'll find it also in the outline uh, online. You might also find it um, in one of the Blue Bibles. And if you're looking at the Blue Bibles, it's page 737. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks, Aaron. Well, it's uh, good to be uh, launching into John's Gospel. Uh, we're spending three weeks in John's Gospel at the end of this year, uh, three kind of Christmas-themed sermons, uh, and then we'll continue on with John's Gospel, at least the first, roughly the first half of John's Gospel uh, at the start of next year. Uh, but we are exploring uh, Christmas questions this Christmas, and I don't know if you've thought about the fact that uh, Christmas time is full of questions. Are some of the standard ones, you know, like uh, what would you like for Christmas? What gift would you like? Uh, what are we going to eat on Christmas Day? Are we going kind of traditional English roast type scenario or Aussie barbecue type scenario? Or if you're in my house, there's too much vegetarian food. I mean, um, there's lots of questions about what you're going to eat on Christmas. There's questions about where you're going to celebrate Christmas. Which side of the family will we see? Which friends will we see? When we will see them? We have to space them out through December. Lots of questions at Christmas. There's questions perhaps even, do I even have anyone to celebrate Christmas with? There are some people who, well, they just feel a bit stuck at this time of year. Maybe loved ones have died. Maybe they live by themselves and they're just not sure where they're going to celebrate Christmas. And maybe this year some of us are thinking, well, can I even be bothered celebrating Christmas? You know, I've managed to avoid those family and friends for two years because of the lockdown, and now I'm all of a sudden, can I even be bothered? Right? Christmas is full of all sorts of questions. But what we want to put on the agenda this Advent season at DPC is that far and away the most important questions are the ones that are centred on Jesus. It's hard to get around that, even if you're not a Christian. The whole thing is kind of named after Jesus, uh, so it's worth you sorting out what you think about Jesus. The most important question, uh, questions at Christmas time are all about Jesus. Uh, so today we're diving right into that uh, with this first question, who is Jesus? I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for this wonderful season of Christmas time, of Advent in the lead up to Christmas. And we pray that today and in the coming weeks, uh, by the power of your word and spirit, that you would move us to have our minds and our hearts fixed uh, on the most important questions of life, uh, which centre on Christ your Son. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, there is a bit of an outline of my kind of sermon in the welcome card online, if you find that useful for following along. And if you look at the outline, you'll see that I wanted to touch on the overall purpose of John's Gospel first. Since we're kind of launching into this series on John's Gospel, uh, if you don't know what a Gospel is even, a Gospel is just one of the historical biographies of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. Adam mentioned before that John is the fourth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four biographies of Jesus' life. But of course, the word gospel also means good news. So John's gospel isn't just a reliable historical account of Jesus' life, although it is that. It's also a newsflash. It's a, the word gospel is kind of a media word. You imagine watching TV and a, a news flash comes up across the bottom of the screen. Something has happened and you respond to it. That's what the gospel is. It's John's declaration of what God has done through Jesus. And so it's not surprising that when we read John's gospel, his purpose, which is very useful in John's gospel, he tells us exactly why he wrote his gospel at the very end of the gospel. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And it's not surprising that his purpose is centered on Jesus. Because the word gospel is about the good news of what God has done through Jesus. So if you look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, this is what John says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, uh, which are not recorded in this book. Uh, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in so doing have life in his name. This is why John has written his gospel, his whole gospel, this passage today, John's purpose, is that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in believing that, find life in Jesus' name. So speaking of big questions, John's gospel is essentially trying to answer three big questions. The first question is, who is Jesus? Two answers to that. John says Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen and promised king, the one whom God sent into the world to establish his kingdom and rule over his kingdom, that will one day bring peace and joy and restoration to the whole earth as the glorious reign of God fills every corner of the planet. Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen and promised king. Second, Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, God with us, Emmanuel. The second person of the Trinity become flesh. That's the first question John's Gospel is going to try to make the case. For for who is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God? Second, how should we respond to Jesus? John wants us to believe in Jesus, uh, to depend on him, to trust him, to give our lives to him. And what do people who believe in Jesus receive? John says we receive life in his name. We receive eternal life, which in John's Gospel is talking about a spiritual new quality of life that begins right now if you believe in Jesus and goes on forever with God and his people. That's John's purpose in his Gospel. And the first question is, who is Jesus? And that's where John starts in the first four verses of his Gospel. So that's where we're starting today. My key idea is that Jesus is glorious And so true life is found in basking in the light of his glory. Jesus is glorious 
So true life is found in basking in the light of his glory. We're going to unpack just these first four verses. Uh, Who is Jesus first? Uh, Jesus is the definitive revelation of God, which I understand is pretty weird terminology. Uh, The only time I hear the word revelation these days uh, is typically when I'm watching sport, uh, and they say, gee, that person was a revelation in the third quarter, you know? It's a slightly different context, but this is a a strange terminology, but you'll see uh, that John starts his gospel in verse 1 by saying, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And we don't know from down in verse 14, if you've got John chapter 1 open, you can scan down to verse 14, and we know that the Word is John's way of describing Jesus. Because in verse 14, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Whether that's talking about what happened at Christmas, right? Jesus becoming flesh, being born in a manger in Bethlehem. We'll hear more about that in a couple of weeks. But why does John choose to describe Jesus as the word? What's he trying to tell us about Jesus? To add to that, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. That John's a, a Jewish man, and the Old Testament is the primary place where he's drawing this kind of background of Jesus being the Word. And in the Old Testament, that God's Word is described in lots of different ways, uh, but in particular, it's how God reveals himself. Uh, the invisible God makes himself known. He reveals himself by speaking, by the power of his Word. I say later on, you could look up Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Or if you're really quick, you can do it while I'm setting the scene. Uh, Moses uh, is describing to God's people, the people of Israel, what happened when God appeared to them at Mount Sinai. And in Deuteronomy 4, verses 11 to 13, he says this. He says, You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens. Uh, with black clouds uh, and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. God reveals himself. The invisible God without form makes himself visible by speaking. In his voice. And that's true of us, isn't it? Uh, In the end, if we want to get to know one another, we reveal ourselves to one another by speaking to one another. It's our words that reveal our character and what we've done with our lives. That's how we get to know one another. And that's what it's like with God, that the invisible God reveals himself to us by speaking to us. He reveals himself in his words. And that's very significant because what, what is John saying about Jesus? Right? Lots of people in the world today, they're not sure if there is a God. And they're not sure that even if there is a God, can you know God? John says, yes, you can. Why? Because the invisible God has made himself known. We're not without answers. He's revealed himself in his word, just like we do as people made in his image. It's a radical claim that John is making. He's saying Jesus is the word of God, the, the definitive revelation of God. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus, John's saying. 
right up front. That the invisible God behind the universe has made himself known in Jesus, his son. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God and he's the eternal revelation of God. Uh, If you look there at the rest of the sentence, uh, John says, in the beginning was the word. Uh, Maybe some of you know that uh, if you were a Jewish person uh, reading the start of John's gospel in the beginning, uh, you might automatically go back to the very start of the Bible, the book of Genesis, which also starts with the words in the beginning. Uh, But notice what John says here. He says, in the beginning was the word. He's saying somehow Jesus already was, Jesus already existed before the beginning of this world, before the creation of the heavens and the earth. Later on, you might want to read the start of the four Gospels I just mentioned before. Uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, he says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But then the first event that Mark records is Jesus' baptism. Now, Luke goes back a bit further than that. Luke's a classic for the Christmas narratives about Jesus' birth. He says, no, 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 if you want to know uh, where the story of Jesus begins, you've got to go back to his birth. Let let me tell you about all the circumstances about Jesus' birth. But Matthew goes back even further. You read the start of Matthew's Gospel, verses 1 to 18. Uh, He says, if you you want to know where the story of Jesus begins, you've got to go all the way back through all his descendants. So Matthew's Gospel starts with this long genealogy, all Jesus' descendants back to Abraham. And it's not that John disagrees with any of that. But he says, if you want to know where the story of Jesus begins, you don't just have to go back to his baptism or his birth or all the way through his descendants. You've got to go all the way back to before the beginning of time. That's where the story of Jesus begins. Because Jesus existed before the world was made. There was not a point where Jesus was created. That's John's claim. Now, you might think that's kind of completely wacko, but that's what he's saying. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Uh, The one that John describes down in verse 14 uh, as the one and only son of God who came from the father. And now we'll come back to this idea of Jesus being the eternal son of God in a bit. We'll dive into this idea of the Trinity and all of that. But for now, let's just kind of put that piece in place. Jesus is the eternal revelation of God, that there has not been a time when he did not exist. A third, Jesus is the personal revelation of God. Look at what John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Uh, Every time that word with is used in the New Testament, uh, it's used to describe someone who's with someone else, in personal relationship with someone else. This is really important because actually the kind of Greco-Roman culture that John was writing in, uh, they also had an idea of the word. They had this concept that the Greek word there is logos. Uh, They had this idea that there was a certain logos. Uh, They would have thought of it as a kind of impersonal force that held all of creation together. Maybe a kind of rational principle that, that made creation an ordered thing that could be studied and understood. Either way, John's saying something radically different, radically countercultural, isn't he? 
Because both the Greeks, the Greco-Roman culture said the logos, the word, is impersonal. John says, no, 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 you're right about there being a logos, but the logos is a person. The word is personal. A person who was with God for all eternity, who's always been in loving relationship with God. Now, the logos, John says, is Jesus, the eternal son of the Father. This is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's a term that's trying to bring together different threads of what we learn in the Bible. That there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All three of them relating to one another in loving community for all eternity. All three of them, God. All three of them, united together. All three of them, God, and that's John's very next point, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is Jesus? Some people are happy to say, I accept Jesus as a social or political activist, or as a religious martyr maybe as a a wise teacher on certain areas of morality, maybe even as a prophet of God. Either the Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet of God, or maybe even as a a human being who did, it's hard to argue with, have some special, divine, kind of God-like qualities. But who is Jesus? John says Jesus is God. The word was God. The eternal God who made everyone and everything broke into the world in Jesus. Entered into his creation in Jesus. Jesus is God. Uh, Just as Jesus, the word of God, reveals God, so also in the Old Testament we see that Jesus, the word of God, creates all things. Uh, If you look at Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, for example, Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spoke and it came to be, He commanded and it stood firm. Jesus, as the word of God, creates all things. That's what we see back in Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? How does God create the universe? By speaking. Let there be light, God says, and there was light. Let there be this and there was that. That the infinite power of God expressed through his word creates everything. That's what John says. Jesus, as the word of God, creates all things. John makes that explicit in verse 3. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so it follows that Jesus is the source of all light and life. Now take a look in verse 4. John says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. 
Uh, Notice the, the close connection in this verse between light and life. We'll see this throughout John's Gospel. Light and life nearly always go together. For example, way back in Genesis chapter 1, I referenced it before, where when God creates all sorts of life, he creates you know, reptiles and fish and plants and animals and trees and human beings and like birds, you know, whatever other form of life I haven't mentioned. Like he creates lots and lots of life, but the first thing that God makes is light. Right? In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Now the earth was formless uh, and empty, and darkness uh, was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, God knew that the first thing that he had to make was light. If he was going to create a world full of life, he had to create life first. He was making an ordered creation. And so there's no way that life could exist without light. Incidentally, this is why Christianity is the foundation for science. Some people say you can be a faith person or a science person. But actually, the the whole kind of premise of science is an ordered creation that operates as we expect. That makes sense. If there's an intelligent God who's made things in an ordered way, you can't have life without light. In fact, uh, previously when I've spoken around this kind of idea, I've Googled the question. You can do it later on. It's a bit of fun. Uh, Google the question, uh, what would happen to life on Earth if our sun, as in the thing in the sky, uh, no longer existed? If the sun just kind of went out, disappeared? Uh, I've come across a couple of articles. One was on a website called Popular Science. I have no idea how reliable it is, but I reckon it's probably pretty reliable. I found it on the internet, so what can you, you know. Uh, But they said that the first thing that would happen if the sun went out uh, was that within a year, the average temperature on Earth would, let me get this this figure right, uh, minus 73 degrees. That would be the average temperature on Earth. And within 10 years, it would be minus 240 degrees. Life on Earth would cease to exist. The whole process of photosynthesis that I studied, you know, maybe in kind of primary school or maybe year seven or something, you know, that photosynthesis thing, that that would stop. All the plants would die, the the trees would die, human beings and animals would be dead within a few days. If the sun was to go out, life on earth, as we know it, just would not be possible. Light and life always go together. We see that in Jesus. Of course, the thing is, that if you look up popular science, you'll also see uh, that as powerful as our sun is, it is going to go out. It might take five to seven billion years, that's the estimate, so none of us are probably going to see it, Uh, but the sun will eventually expand and explode and disappear. Uh, So at that point, what is it or who is it that's going to sustain life on earth? Or is that just it? Start your stopwatches. Five to seven billion years, the sun just disappears. That's it. Well, it's not it. Because there's the light that was around before the sun. 
So I don't know if you've read Genesis 1 closely before, maybe you have. Uh, at the start of Genesis chapter 1, God creates that light that we, that we spoke about before, let there be light and there was light. And then you, if you scan down to verse 14, you'll see that God created the sun. So what's this light that was created before the sun? This light that seemed to be able to sustain life before the sun. Well, when we get to the very other end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, a book that's also written by this same John, the Apostle John, we read in Revelation chapter 21 about a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth that God is making, that's going to be perfect and full of all sorts of light and life. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, we see that this new creation is not going to have any sun. Well, let me read Revelation 21, verse 23. This heavenly city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? Well, because the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb of God is its lamp. There's no need for the sun or moon in God's new creation because the glory of God and the glory of Christ, his son, the lamb of God who takes away the sinners of the world, their glory will light every corner of the planet and bring life to everything. Abundant and beautiful life. So you see what John's saying? He's saying Jesus made all things. Jesus created the sun. He put it in the heavens for a season as the sovereign creator over all. And one day when the glory of Jesus fills the earth, he'll get rid of the sun. There's no need for the sun. For the Lamb of God will be the lamp of the entire world. Jesus, the word of God, uh, creates all things. He's the source of all light and life. And another idea about this word of God, uh, Jesus, the word of God, uh, is the only one who has the power to save. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the way that we see uh, that something, uh, whatever it is that bridges the gap between heaven and earth and God and humanity and death and life, that the only thing that bridges the gap is God's word. It's God's word that bridges the gap. It's God's word that can rescue people from spiritual darkness and death and bring them into God's glorious light and life. It's the power of the word of God. So you might want to look up later on. I'm going to read some verses from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 to 12. It's a great chapter to read later on. Isaiah says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, God says, that goes out from my mouth. My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. So you will go out in joy, God says, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands with joy. You see, it's God's word 
in Isaiah 55, that has the power not just to lead his people out, to set them free from spiritual darkness and death, uh, but in the, in the end, it's God's word uh, going forth and achieving God's purposes and accomplishing his desires uh, that brings life to the whole creation, renewed universe, so that even the trees are clapping their hands. Now, obviously, it's a poetic image, but the point is, this is cosmic restoration through the power of God's word. And the ultimate fulfillment of God's word in Isaiah chapter 55 is who? It's Jesus, the word of God, who was sent forth by the Father from heaven to earth to save, to rescue, to liberate, to lead people out of spiritual darkness and death into God's glorious light and life. And not just to lead people out, uh, but to restore the entire creation, which is why John's gospel starts in the beginning. What's he saying? God is making a completely new creation and the way he's doing it, just as he did in Genesis chapter 1, is through his word. The ultimate word. The definitive word of God. Jesus Christ. But I hope you're starting to see who Jesus is. Jesus is glorious. The definitive revelation of God, the eternal revelation of God, personal revelation of God, the one and only Son of God who creates all things, who's the source of all light and life, the only one who has the power to save, to lead people like us out of spiritual darkness and death into God's glorious light and life. Jesus is glorious. And true life is found in basking in the light of Jesus' glory. Well, what does it mean to bask in the light of Jesus' glory? That sounds very kind of uh, Christianese or something, doesn't it? Bask in the light of Jesus' glory. On one level, it just means uh, back to John's purpose. What's John's purpose? Uh, We've talked about who is Jesus. When we hear who Jesus is, what does John want us to do? He wants us to believe in him. That's the beginnings of basking in the light. In John's gospel, to believe in Jesus isn't just a head thing. We sometimes hear believe and we think, well, I've just got to tick some intellectual boxes about who Jesus is. Uh, But in John's gospel, believing in Jesus is to entrust yourself to him, to give your life to him, to delight in him, even to love him, to worship him. Yeah, and you might say, well, I'm not someone who's really into worshipping things. Don't worship anyone or anything. I'd say, don't kid yourself. No offence, but... Um... Uh, an American novelist, David Foster Wallace, uh, he's not a Christian, this is what he said. Some of you may have heard this quote before. Here's something weird but true, he says. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Why? Well, he says, because there's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. Everybody worships. This guy is not a Christian, but he sees that that somehow there's something built in to to what it means to be a human being, that, that we're drawn to worship things, to delight in things. And to give the love of our hearts to things. That's why we have to invent shows like Australian Idol. Well, we don't want to worship God, but we've got to kind of you know, um, 
a little bit of a joke, but like it's there in the language. That's why we've got a big cathedral in the in the centre of town called the MCG, uh, where we can go and worship uh, our gods. Right, this, this is built into our DNA as human beings. God made us to be worshippers, particularly to worship the glorious person of Jesus, His Son. That's why He made us. See, at this time of year, I think particularly after a couple of years of lockdown where maybe we've been cooped up inside a little bit more, I reckon uh, that we come out and we're, we're reminded again that physically speaking, we were made to really flourish as human beings uh, in the glorious light of the sun. Now, maybe some of us are, you know, have darker skin and we really like being out in the sun and others are kind of you know, real pale and you're like, ah, get the sun away from me. But in general... We like being out in the sunshine. We lap it up. We love it. You could say we bask in the glorious light of the sun. And it brings us life. Well, what if it was the case that, spiritually speaking, for our souls, that we were kind of hardwired to find life in the glorious light of an even greater sun? That's what John's saying. In the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. That, that, that's who you were find. You were hardwired by God to live and thrive and, and flourish in the glorious light of Jesus God's Son. To delight in him, to love him, to lap it up, to bask in the light of his glory. The fullness of who he is, of which these four verses are just a, just a dipping your toe in the water. I see, Christmas is full of questions, and I don't want to negate the importance of deciding whether you're going to have meat or vegetarian on Christmas Day. Right? That, that's a, a very big question to consider. But the most important questions are about Jesus, aren't they? It's right there. It's Christmas. This time of year is all about Jesus. So why not sort out who Jesus is? In John's Gospel, John's Gospel we see that Jesus is glorious, probably much more glorious than we ever thought or imagined, and that true life is found in basking in the light of his glory. Let's pray before we sing, hey? Our gracious Father, we thank you for John's gospel. Uh, We thank you for John's passion for us to see clearly who Jesus is. And we pray that this Christmas uh, you would open our eyes uh, for the first time, or or maybe uh, for some people uh, uh, a refresher, Uh, that we might see even more clearly who Jesus is. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen.